0: Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. Did you know that listeners like you are helping to make these podcasts possible? Let us know that our podcasts are important to you by showing your support today. Visit stjosemaria.org/give. Today in the podcast, Becoming Bethlehem, Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, reflects on the three advents we encounter in life and as we come closer to Christmas, explains what it means to become Bethlehem. To get to know Jesus Christ, follow him, and bring him to others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, if you noticed, we had this opening prayer. My Lord and my God, it was a prayer composed by one of Jesus' apostles when he doubted that Jesus had actually risen from the dead after his grisly death on the cross, and that's doubting Thomas. And he made it abundantly clear to his fellow apostles that unless he saw those wounds in his hands and his feet and his side, he just would not believe. He just could not get himself to believe that Jesus would make good on his prophecy that he would be beaten up, spit upon, tortured, killed, and then rise again in glory. So when he saw Jesus, he implicitly repented and said, my Lord and my God. And uh, he made an act of faith, professing that the man in front of him was not only man, but he was God as well. So we use that same prayer when we come before the tabernacle because we believe that Jesus is really present behind that curtain of bread. We call that the Holy Eucharist. And we come up with a topic of conversation, just the way two friends pick a topic. Sometimes they change the subject if it's not going anywhere. but there's always a subject of conversation. And the subject of conversation is on, it sounds like a funny title, uh, Being Bethlehem or Becoming Bethlehem. Now, why do I say that? Well, in uh, whatever, two weeks, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, so it doesn't take a genius to figure that topic out. So, But to be Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a Hebrew word that means house of bread. So in a real sense, we are in Bethlehem in this chapel because we don't have just a Christmas scene, we have the real Jesus in that tabernacle. And it's kind of like a one-room house called a chapel, but we could also call it Bethlehem, the house of bread. And let's develop this a little bit. But you and I, individually, are called to be this house of bread. The Holy Eucharist that holds the true presence of Jesus I'll use the theological definition, underneath the appearance of bread and wine as well, but in the tabernacle it's just bread, it's under the appearance of bread. Analogously, my vocation, my calling, and your calling, is to be Christ underneath the personality, the persona of each and every one of us. That we have to be Christ, superimposed on our own personality, on our own character. That's what being Bethlehem is all about. We are in the season of Advent, and just to give us a little perspective, that there's three Advents. One Advent we are commemorating Jesus coming to this, this world. It's the greatest event in the history of the universe, that a transcendent God, infinitely good, infinitely powerful, infinitely intelligent, for all you students, who are cramming for finals or crammed for finals the only reason you have to cram for finals is because there's intelligence in reality whether it's history whether it's chemistry whether it's physics and so it's god's fault you know that's 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 where the intelligence came from you know everything's signed with intelligence and even the most sp- specific topic requires years and years of study and research as because god's intelligent And so, well, this transcendent, infinite God who is worthy of infinite homage got translated into human form. If you come next week, there'll be a meditation on that. Um, And so we commemorate that. And, And it's not just going over history. One of the perks of being God is that when he was, when Jesus was here, when he was born, when he worked as a carpenter when he taught, he was thinking about you individually. It's hard to fathom that. But that's what love is all about. Love is very individual. And because the protagonist is not just man, I'm trying not to say a human person because he isn't. No, I don't want to digress. He's a divine person. If I say he's a human person, I'm you know, bordering on heresy. Okay? I'm not supposed to say that. He's man. He's a man, but he's not a human person. That's next week. Okay. All right. Um, just, just trust me. Uh, and so we commemorate it because it's about us personally. It was done for you personally, done for me personally. When you're infinitely loving, you can do that. And even though this happened in history, the protagonist is eternal, so it transcends time. That's the best I could do. The second advent we're commemorating, and I'm sure people are not losing too much sleep over this, is our Lord's second coming. In his first coming, he came amid poverty and humility and rejection. Next time, he's coming in glory, engulfed in glorious light, to judge the living and the dead at the end of the world, at the end of time. Probably you're not losing too much sleep over this. You are maybe losing sleep over your finals, but you're not losing sleep over this. But a corollary to this end of time is the end of my time. You know, when I check out and I have to have my exit interview where the Lord is going to review with me my deeds of love and, you know, give me my eternal reward or give my uh, temporal detour before I get my eternal reward. Uh, so anyway, that, this, this end of time does have relevance, too, because it's going to be an end, end of time for me. And it's you know, most likely it won't be the end of the world when I check out. We, we don't know. Um, but there's a third one which was coined by a doctor of the church a thousand years ago, a little less than a thousand years ago, French monk, a no-nonsense monk, uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He lived in France in the 11th century. And he says there's a middle advent, and that's kind of a fluid advent. It's the Lord intensifying his presence in me. And the one who has lived this middle advent is what we call a saint. What is a saint? You're going to hear that word a lot in these parts. Okay? All right? Uh, A saint is someone who could say with St. Paul, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. It's when we have the heart of our Lord and the joy of our Lord and the affection of our Lord. And we and let's not asking the Lord to help us, give in to a false humility. Well, that's not me, I'm not so hot. I've got my track, track record is nothing to brag about. I think we're we all could say that, but I can be, another Christ. That is the Lord's will. In fact, yesterday's Mass, the second reading, was from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and the Ephesians were just ordinary folk. He told the church in Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus didn't have a parish center or a parochial school or a church. It was a hundred people, you know, ordinary people, men and women. And uh, he said, we are called to be saints from even before the creation of the world. What is is this Middle Advent? Well, I go on a lot of sick calls, and I see people who are dying, and don't get too much advanced warning. In my younger days, I would say, well, you know, can you give me a little bit of a heads up when someone is dying? Um, but, you know, I've learned that that's not, you know, a very rational reaction. <laughs> so I I take it as our Lord sending me a text and say, listen, will you visit me? You know, I'm plagiarizing St. John Paul. Anytime he was asked to do something by someone, he felt that it was our Lord Jesus who would ask him. Anyway, I got one of those texts. You know, can you... And if you got a free moment, if you have a window, okay, that's a euphemism for half a day. If you have a window, can you visit this person? Okay, it's snowing and, and it's far, etc. Uh, but that's, that takes priority. And visit this person, who I knew, but I had not seen this person for a, a, a while, and I could say, it was overwhelmingly moving because this person had undergone such a profound transformation, you know, maintaining his personality and his character traits. But with a moving love and a moving faith, you know, getting emotional, getting weepy, saying that he was the luckiest man in the world because someone was bringing him communion. He said, Our, Jesus was visiting me. He said, how luckier can I be than having Jesus visit me? And, um, and then he was terminally ill. He wanted to die yesterday. and He was shooting for the 12th. I mean, you know. With, I mean, asking the Lord. Kind of surrealistic when someone says that, you know. Um, And very joyful at the same time, you know, tears of joy, as it were, that he can, that our Lord has invited him to share in his passion. And he says, well, the Lord is giving him so much grace and so much support that not that big of a deal, that it's a big honor and a privilege. And the kindness, you know, the, the transformation, because I, I couldn't say that the last time I saw it. Fine person, but not, not at that level. And you could see how the grace of God can really transform a person. And that's what we're called to do because to just cite generic people what does that mean? Well, I heard it ten times, literally, or more. From good Catholics, good Christians. That the culture is frightening, to quote somebody. And I always like to People to elaborate what they mean. I, I know what they mean, but I, I don't really elaborate. He said, "Well, at work, my said, I can't reveal all my beliefs because it's, at least subjectively, so countercultural that I feel like I'm a Martian." One person said. As long as you don't look like one. Right. So he, uh, women say, what, what do I do? You know, my, I'm nervous about my kids. It's, it's a hostile environment if you are serious about the gospel. What do I do? I'm convinced that my Christian faith is the truth, but it's hard to believe now. Because of the media, because of the fashions, because of the mindset, because of what you learn in school, it's everything militates against the contents of this book called the Gospel. And we're in an age where people are no longer going to go to Bethlehem. Let me read this. And the angel said to the, these are the shepherds, okay. and they re- represent, they could re- represent the church as well, they could represent society, they're the first ones to see the Savior. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That's Jesus' first description. I am hope, I'm the ultimate hope. And without reverting to spiritual books or theology books, uh, I think I'm old enough to say with a little bit of credibility, uh, I'm, this is no longer an act of faith. It's an act of experience. He is good news of great joy. Independently of whether you have gifts, whether life is pleasant, whether life is difficult, uh, he is good news of great joy whether one has an, has lived, led a lily, light, lily white life or not, if you turn to him, he is good news of great joy. And I think I'm old enough to tell you that uh, rejecting him is bad news of, of sadness, no matter what kind of accomplish, accomplishments you have. But anyway, let's keep going. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And this is key here, and this is where you and I come in, especially you. Uh, I'm not passing the buck, but you're more in the world. I preach to nice people like you. You know, I hang around confessional boxes and chapels. (laughs) And you are, you know, in the thick of things, dorms, classrooms, parties, sport field, you know. Etc., which shall be to all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Notice how personal it is. You, 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 you shepherds, you. So, and there's a lot of you, the word you is, is ex- almost excessively used but the Holy Spirit wrote it, so we're not going to criticize. But And this shall be assigned to you. You shall find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes. You. This is for you personally, but it's those yous are all the people as well. But given the culture, metaphorically, they're not going to come to Bethlehem. People are not up to come to Bethlehem. And we may say this is not the time for people to come to Bethlehem. People are at best indifferent to Jesus, at worst hostile. And here is uh, an allegory of what's going on in our culture. And next day after they had left Bethany, he felt hungry, the way you like to go to Dairy Queen, the Lord liked figs, Okay, (laughs) right? And the next day after. You know, or something better, uh, Oberweiss, you know. And the next day, after they had left Bethany, felt hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree, you know, it's kind of our equivalent to seeing whatever, whatever place you like to go to, you know, fig tree, you know, kind of a symbol, hey, there's some juicy figs, I like figs, you know, you could be God and like figs. (laughs) All right. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. And so he, I think he really wanted a fig. Uh, He went to see if he might find anything on it. But when he came up to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. Well, I don't know, his reaction was perhaps ostensibly not the most edifying. Then he spoke to it, saying, May no one ever eat fruit of you again. And the tree withered. So he withered the thing. And uh, the, the apostles probably rolled their eyes. There he goes again, you know. Uh, uh, because they didn't, they didn't always understand him. That, that's, that's kind of an understatement. And now he, he ruins a nice fig tree. Because it wasn't the sea, it was winter. You know, I, I think it's kind of irrational if I went to Apple Tree in the dead of now, you know, and I zapped your Apple Tree, and, and you say, well, why'd you zap it? Because I didn't, there's no apples on it. And you'd say, I think you need counseling because <laughs> it's, it's December and it's 20 degrees out. You know, you don't find apples in December in Chicago anyway. And so... What's the, Lord, what's the Lord really doing? I mean, he's, he's not mad at the tree. Uh, he is saying, I don't care if it's not the season for figs. Figs is a fruit. Fruitfulness is a symbol of evangelization. And he's getting them ready for an evangelization that is similar to our own. <laughs> because he's going to cut them loose, men and women, and they're going to enter into a very, very hostile culture. Very dangerous. And he said, basically, I don't want to hear that it's not the season. It's always the season. Because love is more powerful than death. And grace is more powerful than sin. And love is more powerful than hatred and indifference. But you've got to be on top of your game. And I will win through you. You will bear fruit in this environment. And so we're in an age where I got to bring Bethlehem to other people. I got to be an ambulatory Bethlehem. And the, the, the symbol of the manger is a symbol of me. I may say, well, I'm flawed. I got this. I got all these you know, different concentrations of the seven capital sins. Don't feel bad. It's, we all have it. I hope you don't feel bad. It sounds bad. Capital sins. There's seven basic sinful inclinations we all have. It's in the catechism, so don't give me dirty looks. It's in the catechism. <laughs> you know, it's pride, it's anger, it's lust, it's laziness, it's avarice. It's, there's seven of them. And the manger may represent that, but if I am eager to connect with Christ, I'm gonna be a manger. And you don't look at the manger, you look at what's in the manger. And it kind of reminds me of something just even happened today. I was, you know, downtown seeing men, For direction and spirit and confession, and um, I'm challenged even with these kinds of things and calendars and beeps to remind you ten minutes. You know, I still messed up and didn't look carefully enough, and so one guy was waiting for a half hour, and so two people came at the same time, and. and then one of the Paris pieces said, well, look at your calendar. I'm right. You're supposed to see me now. And so yeah, you are right. I missed the other person. I didn't look. I thought I'd look, but I didn't look carefully enough. And so so oh, we had a nice conversation while we were waiting for you. Um, and so one of the gentlemen said, well, listen, why don't you just... Let me just go to Mass, and I'll come back and, you know... And, We'll take it from there. It's not a big deal. so. So it's kind of interesting because the person who went to mass, the person who I got he went, he came on the right time, but I got the wrong time myself. He was referring to this person. He said, My gosh, what a cheerful, friendly person. It's so refreshing to meet someone like that. And I said, well, I use that as a teaching moment. Hint, hint, hint. You know where he just went? He went to Mass, okay? <laughs> so maybe there's a little connection there. So it's not, you know, I didn't want to give him a meditation. I said, it's, it's not about him, it's about his connection with Christ. And so we want to take to heart this advice St. Jose Maria gives us, and we, we, we will be a walking Bethlehem. He says this. I beg our Lord, this is the language of a saint, I beg our Lord to help us make up our minds to nourish in our souls the one noble ambition that matters. The only one that is really worthwhile to get to know Jesus, or excuse me, to get close to Jesus. Because it is the season for fruit, but as Kind of the idea of yesterday's feast, as sin abounded, the grace of God abounded even more. As one person brought sin into the world, one person spread an abundance of grace that went way beyond this sin. Our Lord could do a lot with someone who is following him closely. We can't calculate the good we could do. And what kind of dispositions should we have? We're done. Okay. I could. Someone prayed to their guardian angel. Then I look at my watch, and that kind of worked. That we make, we foster a disposition first. Ten seconds. I really want to follow Christ. I don't know how, when. I really want to do this. All right. Specifically. We need to hang out with him. We need to waste time with him. We need some quiet time with him. Uh, and maybe we need to start with five minutes. Maybe we could start with 15 minutes and use the gospel, open up, talk to him, whatever's on our mind, use something like the way just to give us topic of conversation. And little by little, we will give people an experience of Bethlehem whether we even if we are mangers the important thing is what's in that manger and with our prayer life and our sacramental life we will be that manger we entrust those thoughts and sentiments into the hands of our lady i thank you my god for the good resolutions affections and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation i ask your help in putting them into effect my immaculate mother saint joseph my father and lord my guardian angel intercede for me. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.